Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The following message was preached in 2009 at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio by Dan Durkee. He titles this message, God's Calling. You will enjoy this wonderful message. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. It's a real delight and a real privilege to be at IH convention another year and we certainly thank God for how he's been meeting with us and those that have been speaking before us and I certainly thank brother Mitchell for his faithful truth last night as God so helped him and each one that has shared before we certainly thank God for his presence I love my kids I love my wife and I love my in-laws I've got a mother-in-law and um, Gertrude Mason you've may have seen her at Penview visuals my kids gave me some advice. They said, Dad, you know, we asked Grandma if she'd help us to, you know, she'd pray for us. If she'd really pray for us so we don't mess up when we uh, would sing in that opening, you know, singing service in the very beginning of the convention. And we were last on the list and knowing that, you know, you could always get bumped depending on the time. And after the service and earlier today, they said, Dad, Grandma prayed so good that we wouldn't mess up that, that we didn't even have to sing at all. Maybe you ought to ask Grandma to pray for you, and maybe you wouldn't have to worry about preaching. I'm not sure if her prayers got answered today or not, but it is just so good and so delightful to be with all of you today. I just want you to know that you're my crowd. This is the way I'm going. You're my people, and I thank God for how he's helped and his blessings upon us. Second Chronicles chapter 7, if you brought a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'd like to begin reading with verse number 12 and read down through the remaining portion of the chapter. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Is it too much to ask you to stand again? I just love people to stand. When we read the word of God, I so appreciate that. In verse number 12, he said, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house 
that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked and do according to all that I have commanded thee and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house, which is high, shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Lifting for our text this morning that familiar 14th verse, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this morning we stand before thee as needy. Lord, it's only you that can give unction and inspiration to preach thy truth. I pray that you'd help us this morning. Give us anointing from heaven. Give us unction for preaching. Lord Jesus, help us to share that and to say that which you would want us to and help us to refrain from saying that which you would not want us to, Lord. May you receive the glory and the praise and the honor for what's accomplished during these moments. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. I suppose no other passage in all the Bible has been used more often to preach about revival than this very verse. That's because this morning it's a revival verse. The scripture was actually a very specific promise to the people of Israel. It was given to King Solomon on behalf of his own nation. However, I believe this morning it can still speak to you and it can still speak to me today as Christians. God is speaking to a people who have identified themselves with him and his work. He is speaking to a people that we would call saved. For he said, my people, which are called by my name. Oh, friends, I remember the day when I took on his name. I remember the day when I became a Christian and God transformed my life. This past Sunday, Easter Sunday night, I celebrated my 24th spiritual birthday. I remember the day as a boy raised in an ungodly home, far from heaven, far from spiritual living. But thank God there was enough love of God in some people in St. Petersburg, Florida, that they loved people. And when you really love God, you're going to love people, by the way. 
They're willing to knock on my door and pick me up and bring me to church. And, and one day I realized that Jesus Christ was more than a curse word. He was more than a flannel graph story. But Jesus Christ died on Calvary's rugged cross for my sins. And he shed his life's blood that I could have atonement, that I could have redemption, that I could have his name. I'll never forget the day on that Easter Sunday night as a 14-year-old boy, I stepped out during that invitation in that Bible Methodist church and Jesus Christ saved me that night. He changed my life. He called me to belong to his family and thank God he adopted me to his own. I remember after I got saved, I began to have a love to read the Word of God. God began to inspire me and put it in my heart to want to read Scripture. I didn't know where to start reading the Bible. I, I knew enough about the Bible that you know there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. I knew there was enough about Scripture that, you know, there was, a, there was commandments in the old and there was the Beatitudes in the new. We had learned that in junior church and in Sunday school. But I didn't know where to begin to read the Bible, so I decided I'd start in the very first book of the very first chapter of the New Testament because I was a new Christian. I'll never forget as I begin to read the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Pharaoh, and Aram begat Abinadab, and, and Solomon begat Boaz. And I'm reading, and I'm thinking to myself, is this all the Bible is, a bunch of people begatting people? But you know what? I kept on reading. I kept on reading, and I got down to the end of Matthew chapter 9. And as I got down to the end of Matthew chapter 9, I recognized the words of Jesus, for they were in red. My pastor told me, when you read it in red, it's the words of Jesus. And when I read the end of Matthew chapter 9 and I, and I realized what he was saying when he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of harvest that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest field. And when I read that scripture, it was as though the God of heaven spoke to me. No, not audibly, but he spoke to me in my heart. He said, young man, I want you to be one of those laborers. He called me to be one of his laborers. I didn't know what that meant. I'll never forget, I went to my pastor, Brother Dan Parker, I thank God for Dan Parker and Sister Parker. They're praying for me right now during this service in South Carolina. I went to Brother Parker. I said, Brother Parker, I said, I was reading in the Bible right here about being a laborer, and God said he wants me to be one of those. What's that mean? You can get excited when a young person comes up to you as a pastor and says, God wants me to be one of these. Tell me what that means. And Brother Parker looked at me and said, young man, God's called you to be one of his laborers to be in ministry, to work for him. You need to go to Bible college and prepare for what God has. And I said, okay, I'm going to Bible college. I just settled it just like that. God's calling in my life. He called me to conversion and he called me to, to be a laborer. I went to Bible college, enrolled in Penview Bible Institute from the city of St. Petersburg, Florida to a place that didn't even have a stoplight in its town. But God, the Holy Spirit, called me to a great Bible college in Penn's Creek, Pennsylvania. I'll never forget when I showed up there, I enrolled in missions. I didn't know what to be. I thought I'll be a missions major, and I signed up for the missions program. But after the first semester, Brother, Brother Manley, I realized that wasn't going to work out too well. And so I said, I'm going to be a Christian school teacher. I'm going to teach history. But after a semester when that didn't seem to work out too well, I thought, I'll be a missionary aviator. I'll fly planes and we have real exciting stories, you know, about landing on grass runway strips. But after ground school and a few things like that, I thought that's not going to work out too well. And so I, another semester I said, I'm going to be one of those general Bible people, you know, where you're just kind of a general studies major. You know, when you really don't know what you're going to do, you just be a general major. And after a semester of that, that didn't seem to work out too well. But I knew God had something in my life. 
I knew God wanted me to be a laborer for him. And I'll never forget in a summer camp meeting, I was, I was singing in a quartet for Penview Bible. And it was a God's missionary church camp in Penns Creek, Pennsylvania. When God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to my soul and I made my way to an altar. I said, God, I'll give you whatever you want of my life. You can have it all. And God, the Holy Spirit, called me to preach that day. He said, I want you to preach the gospel. I said, I'd never preach. He said, I want you to preach the gospel. And I said, yes to his will and yes to his way. And I'll never forget as I went back to school, or perhaps Brother Cooley, I don't know what he thought. I said, Brother Cooley, I'm going to switch majors again. I'm going to be a ministerial major. But it's because God called me. God showed me what he wanted me to be. Thank God for his calling this morning. Thank God that he still speaks today. That's what this session's all about. The God of heaven can call you and me today. And he's done that in my life. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen of IH Convention, that the God of heaven still speaks today. And he's calling us to revival. God wants us to experience a second blessed heaven sent Holy Ghost revival in 2009. He wants to send revival. And I believe the immediate need for revival is life and death for holiness people. Sad to say there are too many among us who simply just don't believe that. They don't get it. And there are far too few who sense the awful judgment that is to come if we do not see revival. But may I remind you that God's call for real revival isn't just a topic for the inner church holiness convention or a carefully crafted sermon by this evangelist. But I want you to know on this Wednesday morning that if the conditions are met in God's way, I believe the stage can be set for real heaven-sent revival. Friends, we need a revival today. We need God to work among us. We need God to meet with us, and he calls us to it this morning. I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that God's call for real revival has some serious requirements. God's call for real revival has some serious requirements. Before revival can ever become a reality, the people of God must meet at least four demands. These demands are found in our text this morning. It doesn't guarantee that revival will happen, but friends, I believe it does create an atmosphere in which it becomes very real and very possible. The first demand is what I call preparation. For he said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, shall humble themselves, at a reception honoring Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday. The elderly British socialite Lady Cooper fell into a conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her quite well. Lady Cooper's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds and realized that she was talking to none other than Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Cooper curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am, I, I didn't recognize you without your crown. To which the queen replied, It was so much Sir Robert's evening that I decided to leave it behind. That I decided to leave it behind. Friends, this matter of revival is so much about what God wants to do that for some of us in this crowd, we've got to leave our, our titles behind. We've got to leave our denominations behind, so to speak, and say, God, it's about you. It's not about what I'm doing in this denomination. It's not about what I'm doing in this convention. If I grace this platform or run a big display or serve in a Bible college or a mission field, it's about you, God. Oh, that God would prepare our hearts, humbling ourselves. One of the things God's people must do is remember that he is God. 
When we humble ourselves to God, ladies and gentlemen, we're acknowledging Him in our lives. We're admitting our weaknesses and we're reaching out for His power and for His strength. We're saying, I can't, but God, you can. That's what was happening in Joshua chapter 5 when he was told to take off his shoes. It was a very ancient way of symbolizing the giving of control to someone else, to another. It was simply a way of saying, I can't, but God, you can. Oh, he wants us to prepare our hearts. He wants us to humble ourselves. I believe the second demand for real revival is prayer. For he goes on to say, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. And pray. This word means just exactly what it says, folks. It means to pray. It's not difficult to understand. It's in essence humility and action. For the person who prays sees his own inability and he recognizes God's ability. And this causes him to come before the Lord and to seek his help for his own needs. Oh, I believe prayer is an essential ingredient in seeing real revival. And may God help us to follow those who've, who've prayed before us when real revival came in their lives. I read in the spring of 1904 about a young Welshman named Evan Roberts who was repeatedly awakened to, to pray from one to five in the morning. And by November, a powerful spiritual awakening was spreading throughout all of Wales. I read about in 1936 how the revival fires broke out on Wheaton College just west of Chicago. They tell us that a senior named Don Hills arose in chapel to voice a plea for revival. And students responded with an all-day prayer meeting on Saturday. And both faculty and students confessed sin and made things right between one another. Revival had come because of prayer. Again, Wheaton College was touched in 1943, following a very stirring message of confession of sin during some special services. They tell us that the captain of the cross-country team arose to confess that he had violated policy by leading his team in a Sunday race. Other students confessed their sins, the sins of pride, the sins of criticism, the sins of cheating, and they tell us that lunch and dinner slipped by unnoticed while the meeting continued into the evening services. Oh, my friends, God wants to bring real revival, but we've got to pray for it. We've got to get a hold of God, and may we determine that we will pray for real revival. Friends, we need to pray in our homes like we've never prayed before. We need to get a hold of God and pray in our churches. We need to pray in our schools and our Bible colleges. I thank God for the stirring that I'm sensing on the campus of Penview where young people are fasting and seeking God. 40 hours of fasting recently in a time of prayer and seeking after God. God wants to do something today in our day. Oh, that we would pray in our offices and that we would pray in the streets. Friends, it's time we simply stop talking about prayer and preaching about prayer and singing about prayer and get busy about the business of praying, getting a hold of God. He goes on to say, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Friend, that speaks to me of priority. That speaks to me of priority this morning. That third requirement is that of seeking his face. This word means to desire something. It means, uh, it means devotion. It means passion. It's a priority in our life. The thought here is that we must come to the place where God is the number one priority in our lives. He has first place. He's the number one desire within our hearts. 
It was Marcus Antoninus of the second century who once said this, the true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects he pursues. Let me ask you this morning, Dayton crowd, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? What is it that has your attention this morning? What is it that captivates your heart? Is it money? We need money. But is that what you're living for? Is that what's captivating your heart, your attention today? Perhaps it's pleasure. Is it pleasure that you're truly seeking after? Maybe it's technology. The latest gizmo and gadget, you've got to have it. And that's what's captivating your heart and your mind. Perhaps it's a home, a career, moving up the ladder. Maybe it's sports. Oh, our nation is consumed with sports today. Perhaps it's yourself. Friends, I want you to know that whatever it is that captivates your attention, that's your priority. In effect, that becomes your God. And may we as an IHC crowd determine within our hearts that we will have no other gods before him. May he have first place. May our love for him drive us to pursue him with every fiber within our beings. That God is number one and we've given him proper place. I believe when we do that, we begin to open the door for real revival. It was A.W. Tozer who said this, if we yearned after God, even as much as a cow yearns for her calf, we would be the worshiping and effective believers God wants us to be. If we longed for God as a bride looked forward to the return of her husband, we would be a far greater force for God than we are now. But I believe one of the problems with the church today is that truly we have ceased to desire God like we should. We have ceased to desire God like we should. Oh, we say it with our lips, we want revival. We say it with our lips, but our lives tell a different story. They sing a different song. We've got so many pursuits in life, and perhaps some of them legitimate, and yet we become so overbalanced, so irregular in our own walk with God that we have no time for Him to have real first place in our life, a real priority. Oh, may the people of God, may the IHC crowd, the conservative holiness crowd this morning fall in love with Him to the point that He becomes the focus and the driving force for all that we do. We must seek His face, folks. The fourth requirement in this verse, He said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Friends, I see purity in this verse as a requirement for revival. I see purity in this verse. This verse is pretty self-explanatory this morning. It's simply repentance. Turning from your wicked ways. Don't we realize that it's impossible to have a call for revival without a call for repentance? Without a call for repentance. This has always been God's requirement for his people. One writer said the call for revival seems almost like a spiritual fad with no true passion and no true sincerity of heart. He said many will say amen. They'll say amen when they hear the mention for the need of revival, but the call is fleeting. 
And it soon passes away, and then we quickly move on to other activities and return to other business as usual with no follow-through. Oh, my friend, we need revival. If we're going to experience revival in our day, we're going to have to turn from our wicked ways. We're going to have to obey God in every facet of our life. In the great Asbury College revival of 1950, Dr. Kirkland of North Carolina, who was a senior in college at the time, said this. The revival of 1950 was a spontaneous visitation of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sure that no one present was prepared for or expected what was to follow. Students were instantly on their feet all over the auditorium. They formed a line all the way to the annex, moving one by one to the microphone. They were there to unburden their hearts and to openly declare their purpose to be right with God and each other. And there were confessions of cheating I believe with all my heart that if we're going to experience a real revival in our day, there'll be confessions of cheating in our schools and Bible colleges. It'll happen, folks. He said not only were there confessions of cheating, but there were confessions of unkind criticism of others. If the holiness movement's going to experience real revival, there's going to be confession of unkind criticism. Unkind criticism to the people that lead this very convention, for example. Unkind criticisms of those that lead our Bible colleges and our mission organizations and our churches today. There'll have to be confessions of that because, friends, I've heard too much. May God give us revival. He said there were confessions of spiritual pride and of prayerlessness, confessions of coldness of trying to follow Christ and the world at the same time. And even faculty members were involved coming forward to confess in the great Asbury revival of 50. Folks, God wants us to start confessing and to stop our sinning. He wants us to turn from our wicked ways. And yet one of the reasons, and yet one of the reasons I believe people aren't turning from their wicked ways it's because they don't think they're wicked. They don't think they're sinful. And I believe another reason is because we've stopped preaching on sin and calling it what it is. The things that used to be wrong in our lives are now just okay, you know. It's a new day preacher, some would say. Or, you know, you gotta be more careful in ministry preacher if you're gonna be effective today. But ladies and gentlemen, hear me out. I believe this morning that the only way we're going to raise the moral tone of the day and age in which we live is we've got to revive an understanding of what sin really is. Of what sin really is. The late Dr. J.W. Chapman used to tell of an old Methodist preacher who often spoke on the subject of sin. And he would define sin as an abomination that God hates. One day a member of the congregation said, Sir, we wish you wouldn't speak so plainly about sin. Our young people hearing you will be more likely to indulge in sin. Call it something else like an error, a mistake, or even a twist of our nature. But please, preacher, don't call it sin. Going to the desk drawer, the preacher remarked, I think I understand what you mean. And pulling out of the desk drawer was a bottle, a bottle of strychnine. And he held that bottle of strychnine up and he says, Do you see the red label? The red label says poison. Would you suggest that I cover the label and call it wintergreen or peppermint? See, the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is that the more harmless the name, 
the more dangerous the dose. And we've got far too many people overdosing on sin today, folks, in our circles. May God forgive us. May we return from our wicked ways this morning. Thank God. Thank God if we will meet the requirements for real revival. I believe we can experience as a holiness people some tremendous spiritual rewards from the God of heaven. Thank God. For God's call for real revival not only has its requirements, but it also has its spiritual rewards. Its spiritual rewards. For he says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he says, then will I hear from heaven. Thank God. God will hear from us this morning, friend. Oh yes, never forget, sin will always hinder prayer. But when sin is taken care of out of our hearts, prayer can flow through unhindered to the very throne of God and from the throne of God. And I believe this morning there's no more powerful force in all the world than an unhindered prayer life. I believe prayer can change things. Prayer is powerful today. I believe it's because it has the very ear of God. God will hear us. Not only will God hear us, but he goes on to say, and will forgive their sins. Friends, God will help us too. He'll help us. He's promised to forgive our sins. He said in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins... I'll be faithful, thank God, for a faithful God this morning. I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, my friend, this means not only is the prayer line restored, but it also means that we can have a close walk with God, have fellowship with the Almighty, and there's nothing in the world that compares to that. Listen, if you've got a cancer of sin in your life, and you've allowed it to grow in your life, you need to know that it truly can be cut out on this Wednesday morning. That nature that you were born with on the inside that's meant to do what you want to do, God has a remedy for that. And if you'll come before the Lord and deal with your sin in the way He wants you to, He'll respond in forgiveness and restoration every time. Just like the prodigal son of old, you will find that the Father will receive you and restore you through His amazing grace. Thank God He will not only hear us and help us, but he goes on to say, and he will heal their land. Thank God. This great verse was given to Israel. They were warned that the Lord with drought would answer their sins and would devastate their land and their population. However, I want you to know that the Lord's promise to them is that repentance will equal the rain. That repentance will equal the rain. If they'll honor him, he will honor them. If, he, if they open their hearts, he will open the windows of heaven. And oh, my friend, God wants to send the rain today. Oh, thank God for mercy drops that around us are falling. Thank God in Shelbyville, Indiana, where I was recently in revival. Brother Spivey, there's been some mercy drops falling and, and revival power and fire there. And Dennis Johnson's church and up in, up in Greenville, Michigan, just a few weeks ago in revival meeting, the mercy drops begin to fall around as young people from the streets begin to seek God and seek Him with a whole heart. Thank God for that. But folks, we look for the showers this morning. Oh, for the showers we plead. Oh, I believe in a sense we're in the same situation today that they were in their day. For our homes and our communities and certainly our nation have been devastated through a drought of spiritual blessing and power. And I believe if God's children will come back to him, come back to him in a genuine repentant spirit and have faith, I believe we can see our nation impacted for the glory of God, by the glory of God. Oh, friend, we need that kind of revival today. He's calling us to it. 
God's call for real revival not only has its requirements and its rewards, but I want you to thirdly understand that God's call for real revival has its results. It has its results. Did you notice that the requirements and the rewards are given to God's people? But when the refreshing comes to you and to me, it would not only reach you and to me, but it would reach an entire nation. It would reach a world, and the implication is very clear, that genuine revival affects not only those who are revived, but all of those around them. Again, I was reading an article about the 1904 revival and prayer time in Atlanta. It said in 1904, the Atlanta newspapers reported an amazing revival of prayer sweeping the city. On November the 2nd, the Supreme Court of Georgia, the Supreme Court of Georgia closed so people could attend prayer meetings. We as a people experience a true move of God of revival. We will see God's power touch this world in a tremendous way. And I believe revival in our hearts and in our churches will impact our homes, our children. It'll impact our communities, our schools, our neighborhoods, our nations, and our entire world for the glory of God. Friend, he wants to bring revival. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of seeing what sin is doing to our families, what sin is doing to our homes, our churches, our communities, our nation, and would to God that his people would get a real vision about what he wants to do and how he wants to bring real revival. Would to God that we would pay the price to see that take place. Friends, one writer said it. If God would grant us revival today based on the amount of effort we put in, he'd have to apologize to the generations gone by. Oh, God, God would give us revival. In conclusion this morning, I want you to know that revival is a real, real possibility. It's a real possibility this morning. And I believe the key word in this very verse is that very first word, if. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He said, then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let me ask you this morning, are you one of his? Are you one of his people? Do you know the reality of real repentance in your life? Are you willing to come before him humbling yourself, leaving your tag back there, leaving your title back there, and humbling yourself before God? praying and seeking his face and turning from your wicked ways? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to experience real revival in your life? I recently had the privilege to preach a revival meeting in Lehigh and God's Missionary Church where the Reverend Marion Walker attends, a retired minister well up in years. I was moved upon as he shared with me his account of the 1950 Asbury College Revival where he was a student at the time. Let me read an excerpt from the nearly 70 pages that Reverend Walker has put together in a compilation that he's given to me. He said, early in January of 1950, 
A group of students at Asbury College had a burden for a mighty revival and also for a student who was unsaved. He said they started a vigil of prayer and kept it going around the clock until the great revival broke out of February the 23rd of 1950. Did you catch that? They started in early January. Around the clock prayer until February the 23rd. He said about that time a professor by the name of Dr. Tony M. Anderson one of the greatest evangelists in the Nazarene church awoke shortly after midnight. And these are Dr. T.M. Anderson's words. He said, I looked at the clock and I said, it's not time to get up. And yet the Lord spoke to me, he said. And he said, what about giving me some time? Dr. Anderson, the Lord says, what about giving me some time? Dr. Anderson said, now I, I wasn't backslid. I read my Bible and I prayed. I was very busy preaching every weekend, preaching all summer long in camp meetings, holding revivals during the school year, writing books and teaching school. He said, I told the Lord, you can have all of me. If I never teach another class, if I never preach another sermon or write another book, you can have all of me. And Dr. Anderson said, the Lord renewed him to the point that sometimes after that he only got two or three hours of sleep a night. And then that morning he said, Lord, I'm approaching 70 years, the allotted time, and I would love to see one great revival before I die. He said, every morning I got up around 4 o'clock and prayed for several hours while the students held the vigil of prayer. Marion Walker wrote on the night before the revival broke out, a faculty member and a student were walking across the campus at two in the morning. And the student said, what's that we hear over in the gym? He said the students had been in the gym all night long praying and seeking God for revival. Reverend Walker went on to say the next morning in chapel, a couple got up and sang, let me lose my life and find it, Lord, in thee. And he said the atmosphere just seemed to be electrified with the very presence of the Lord. A student got up and said that he had been in that all-night prayer meeting in the gym last night. And another student whom they'd been praying for had been converted. At that point, that student jumped to his feet and he said, I am that student. I was about to go out of Asbury College without God. And students begin coming to the altar. Dr. Anderson got up and said this, I wish for one day around here, just one day around here, that we would forget about our school and we'd forget about everything else and truly let God have his way. And he said, that's when it broke out. God, the Holy Spirit fell. And people started going to the altar. And a great revival broke out a generation or so ago. School was completely shut down. No one went to classes. No one went to the dining hall. And a real revival had come. Folks, you know as well as I do, there are many different reasons we come to IH Convention. 
I come to these days and practically live in a display area representing Penview Bible Institute. And so do many of you that represent your colleges and missions and, and all the things you do, and we understand all of that. You come to watch your kids sing or your grandkids, your grandkids sing in quartets and trios and choirs, and, and all of that is good. We understand that. There's board meetings that take place in a lot of different aspects, but oh, that God would just give us one day, just one day, where we can set all that aside and be a seeker after God for real revival. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm going to be a seeker after God, for I want revival in my life, and I want revival in my family, and I want revival in our movement. Friends, if that's how you feel about this morning, do I have to ask you to come and seek God? Do I have to ask you to get up out of your seat and say, I need God, we need God on the scene? Oh, that God would give us real revival. It's the need of the hour. He's calling us to it this morning. God bless your heart. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. 